listening to Neural Pathways, where your neuroscience degree can take you, presented by Healthy Brains, Healthy Lives at McGill University. I'm your host, Rana Gafuri, and this podcast is aimed at providing guidance for your future as a neuroscience graduate. Hi, everyone. So our previous guests have all been McGill alumni, but this week is a little different. Today's episode features Dr. Samantha Yamin, widely known as Science Sam, who we had the great pleasure of welcoming to McGill to share her expertise in science communication. Samantha completed her PhD in neuroscience at the University of Toronto in 2019, and as the founder of Science Sam Media, she's a renowned science communicator and digital media producer. Sam, thanks so much for talking to me today. I'm really excited uh, for the chance to talk to you. Thanks for having me here. (laughs) So I just want to start off hearing a little bit about your journey from your graduate studies into Science Sam. (laughs) How did that start? What gave you the idea to do that? Yeah, so I didn't have, I did my PhD at the University of Toronto. uh, I did it studying stem cells and how they build and maintain mammalian brains. Um, And that was, I I loved that research. I loved the topic. Um, It was obviously really difficult. But I started realizing I was like missing out on a lot of things with my friends. I would like miss, um, I missed a particular friend's birthday one time because I had to do a midnight time point and all this stuff kept happening because the lab work was lengthy. Uh, and I didn't have Instagram at that point, and my friends were always telling me to get on Instagram. And so one day I just realized, well, maybe I could show a little bit of what I was actually doing in the lab. So my friends would kind of, not that they weren't understanding, but they could kind of see, you know, why I was missing things. And, yeah, and, what, it's hard, and it's hard to explain when you're doing yeah. such a like, niche kind of project, and if your friends aren't, don't have that kind of science background. And yeah, and, and they're like amazing people, so they're like, we want to know about your life, like show us, you know, and, and I was sending them stuff through Snapchat, and they're like, this is annoying, it disappears. <laughs> so I had been sort of, my and my best friend Michelle, she's in marketing, and she kept being like, Sam, get on Instagram, get on Instagram, talk about your science on Instagram. And the thing that really like lit the, the spark, I guess, of it, that actually made me do it after she had been telling me for like months to do it, uh, was I was going to a science policy event in Ottawa. And I was on the way there and I just realized, you know what, this is BS. I'm always complaining about the state of science funding in Canada. I want people to know about my research. I complain that, you know, people don't know why my lab work takes so long, but I'm doing nothing about it. And so I decided, let me just start posting and see if my friend was right and see what happens. And that was the trigger point, I guess, just thinking more about policy, thinking more about um, how bad scientists are at returning, showing the return on investment in science and right. showing people the value of their tax dollars in science. Uh, kind of just from all of these different things made me start to do it. And I haven't stopped three and a half years later. Four years? And it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, and you notice how interested people actually are, right? Mm. Like, a lot of the time, I don't like to talk about my research to my friends because I think yeah. they're not going to care. But yeah. then when they ask questions and you are able to properly convey to them what they're doing, they are a lot more interested than you think. So yeah. it's really cool that you're doing that. Of course. I mean, like, people are interested uh, in everything. Like, I always want to hear what people do for work. I love hearing about people's days. Like, I love reality TV for that reason because you just get to watch people's lives. But especially when it comes to science... Because science is based on the observable world, people want to understand things that they interact with all the day. All of us are studying things that are relevant to people's lives in some way. And so people have this innate curiosity because it's relevant. 
And I think we I think there's a way to talk about it so that it's not boring. But <laughs> I think in general, in the topics themselves, people are super interested. So that led you to then decide to further share your work. Mm -hmm. So you started with your work that you're doing in the lab and then brought into general science topics? Yeah, yeah, it started off very much being about what I was doing and what the life of a scientist was and and me really wanting to show that um, scientists are very multidimensional people. I I was sick of people like meeting people in a bar and they'll be like, you're a scientist, but you like makeup. And it was like, what? (laughs) Who told you this narrative that we're not humans? Like, okay, some of us are really weird, but (laughs) there's many sides to our weirdness. And and so it started off being like a very personal thing to show my journey and myself and the many sides of of research life. Um, Over time, I I mean, it, it... it's, it was, it's always fun to talk about your research, but over time I was like, I should probably not right, show yeah. them another picture of a neuron that's fluorescent. <laughs> like, I should probably do some other things. And I started realizing that I also have interests beyond my research. So it became a really fun practice for me to get to um, try to distill my opinions on things that were happening in, this, in the science news headlines, for example, and try to make those into posts as well. And so now I predominantly do general science topics, just things about the world that I find interesting, things in headlines. Um, I try to do more like general curiosity type of content rather than always reacting to the news. Um, But yeah, I find that super fun because it's stuff that I'm reading about anyway, so might as well talk about it. Share it with other people. Yeah, and hear what they have to say because I always learn a lot from doing that too with international perspectives on, on things and you're used to your way of thinking and it's really fun to hear what other people think. Right, and just the idea of simplifying concepts so mm-hmm. that a more general audience can understand it, I mm-hmm. think is so important because mm-hmm. when you don't have the background, sometimes it's really hard to grasp like what's going on in a certain topic. Yeah, and it's almost not, it's not even simplifying, it's just rearranging the information mm-hmm. because people love the nitty gritty and they will get there. I think the issue is the way that we write our scientific papers, for example, and the way that we're taught to talk about science in academia is very details, details, details first. Um, And instead, when we're talking to people who aren't invested in the details yet, um, we should kind of start bigger and then slowly taper in the details and then get into the nuance. So it's not even simplifying. I think of it more as like reversing. I'll I'll literally write a caption, a a post or something about some topic, and I'll just copy... uh, cut the bottom part of, I'll write things my natural way that I'm used to and I, from based on academia, and then I'll just take the bottom part and usually stick it at the top. Because <laughs> we're just um, talking about things in the bigger picture first and then tapering in, I think. Anyways. So you said you started doing this during your PhD studies. Mm-hmm. What motivated you to pursue graduate school in the first place? Oh, I... I think I'm unusual in that I always wanted to be a researcher. I always wanted to study science and like from a very young age I wanted to be a chemist because I loved mixing things in the bathroom to try to make a unique perfume. Like I would give my aunt this weird perfume gift <laughs> that was like mouthwash plus toothpaste plus a spritz of my mom's perfume. It wasn't good, but bless her, she still wore it. <laughs> uh, so I always loved science in that way. It was very curious and nosy. Um, But then in grade nine, first year of high school, just being around so many people for the first time, like in a small space of high school, my high school is pretty big, and seeing everyone being so different and seeing that everyone had these whole lives and stories and personalities really made me 
want to dive into like the why. Why is this person this way and why am I not that way? And, and what's going on in our heads that gives us these unique personalities? And I learned about, I learned the word neuroscience in grade nine and never looked back. Um, and I'm really glad that I did because the brain is the coolest. It's so cool. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can just, uh, it doesn't get old. It gets, the day to day in the lab can get old, but the brain conceptually never gets old. <laughs> That's so true, yeah. yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about what you did for your actual research project? Yes, absolutely. So in our lab, we study stem cells all over the body and how they help to develop tissues. And most people think of stem cells just as the embryonic stem cells that had a lot of controversy a decade or so ago. But in fact, there are stem cells in every tissue of the body. And I've been focusing on stem cells in the brain to try to understand how they develop all the many different cells of the forebrain in particular. You graduated last year? Yeah, I defended in April 2019. First of all, just anyone listening is writing their thesis and getting ready to defend. Oh, I'm writing my master's thesis oh, right now, actually. Yeah. Oh, I, I know it's like, not as bad, but... No, 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 it's still, it's still rough. I just, I always need to give a moment and like clutch my heart for you yes it's so difficult and it will take you to a deep dark weird place so if anyone's feeling that you're not alone um so i since my after my defense i took several months to recover <laughs> i took a lot of vacation and watched so much netflix and, and just really did nothing besides eat and relax and for work to pay the bills and pay the restaurant bills too. Uh, I work part-time in my PhD lab, continuing some of our projects and training some of the new students coming into the lab. And I'm full-time a freelance science communicator. And I've started my own business called Science and Media, where I'll do all sorts of different communication projects from speaking gigs and in-person stuff to uh, TV and radio guest spots and then creating whatever I can online through uh, Instagram mostly. So what did you picture yourself doing when you first started grad school? Oh, wow. Uh, How did these things change? They definitely changed. And I think it's nice that they did. I think I have, I have a slide I show sometimes there. It's year one, I wanted to be a PI and have my own lab. Um, I stopped having that dream, not because I stopped loving science, but because I realized the lifestyle and I wasn't interested for everybody yeah I, I wasn't interested in that in that lifestyle that would probably be required um and i started realizing some other interests so i, I considered law i actually secretly wrote the lsat <laughs> i didn't tell anyone i just like did it because i was watching suits and i was like law seems cool it was preparing for my reclass to transfer from master's to phd i completely spiraled one night signed up for the lsat then i reclassed to phd and then my lsat date came up and i was like well i guess i'm writing this and it was a pretty fun test yeah. <laughs> like, it's all like thinking and logic it was fun but uh yeah and i considered consulting and then i considered uh going into science policy and that's when i did that thing in Ottawa where I started Instagramming and right. then I just finally admitted to myself, girl, you love teaching, you love talking about science and you love engaging people with this. Why have you written off a career in science communication? Right. I've always been doing it, but I think it's like, you know, see, I don't know, like there's a lot of stigma. Seeing it as like a whole career is like a whole different thing than just doing it for fun, I guess. And it's not something that yeah. we're like taught too much about I feel like more recently becoming a topic of conversation I find yeah and I think people are also realizing that it's 
like if most of our research is publicly funded through tax money, majority of it, then we really need to be engaging with folks so they know where that money is going and they and they can then decide and make an informed decision as required for a democracy whether they want to continue supporting that right right so i think that's something that just historically was perhaps less important and and i don't know it was just less emphasized and and now i think people are really starting to realize how important it is and um, it's become a more popular thing but in general when you're doing your grad studies, you're being mentored by your supervisor who did choose academia. And so it can be very hard to find another mentor who can teach you on other things that you can do, um, science communication or otherwise. Did Mm -hmm. you look for other mentorship opportunities when you were doing your graduate studies? Yeah, I think, I really or just extracurriculars yeah. in general like were you involved in a lot of extracurriculars I definitely was I was I'm like a keener through and through since elementary school I've been like the president of some nerdy club <laughs> so that didn't change I tried to not in grad school but I'm still involved but I think just by virtue of being a first generation in STEM so I, like I had no one in my immediate network growing up or in my family who did a science career path so I kind of had to become very good at networking. And so I, I found mentors, incidentally, I would say, because I, was, I found myself going to these social events and going out to things, um, the equivalent of HBHL type of events where I was, and finding so much value in them and, and just meeting new people. And then I started organically building a lot of mentor-type relationships. I don't say I have like one in particular, but I have many people who guide me in different parts of my career. And without whom I would have struggled a lot more. And what are some of the most important skills you think you've gained through extracurricular involvement? Um, I mean, I think I learned a lot. It's like uh, beyond skills, just like learning about how policy works and how best practices and communication, those were all super valuable things um, declaratively to learn. But skill-wise, I think practicing communication for sure. Um, how to maintain a network, that's become a huge challenge, especially leaving just the skill of networking and maintaining that network, adding people on LinkedIn after you meet them in person, and when's the best time to give your business card, like all of these like hidden things of being a professional, I don't know, being yeah. like older. <laughs> it was so hard. It was hard. Everyone I said that like networking is such an important Thing it is. That that's what you should be doing. It's and the cliche like, advice, I'm, but it's true. <laughs> I'm so scared of that kind of stuff personally. Yeah. So it's like, how yeah. do you go about talking yeah. to someone and getting them interested sure. in you as a person? It's so hard, and I think just throwing myself into those situations was the best thing I could have done because I would just show up to things alone and my I didn't really always have friends who would want to come so I would just go to some event alone and then it'd be awkward so I'd have to talk to people and fortunately grad school also taught me that because going to conferences I went to a keystone symposia alone so no one else from my lab went it's a small conference and you're just there in the middle of a mountain <laughs> like they're always on some mountain mountainous What's the word I'm looking for? They're always in the mountains. <laughs> so uh, just going to those types of things and just having to be like, hi, so dinner is interesting tonight. And just making <laughs> weird small talk and learning to lead with small, not small talk, learning that it's okay in a professional setting to be yourself right. and let the important, let the like business talk come later. 
I think that has been an important skill to develop. And it happened because I started networking before I needed to. So you just, then you're not nervous at an event. You're just talking to people. They'll end up being someone important. And, you and then later know. on, you're more comfortable reaching out to them because you've already had that yeah. first conversation. That skill of like being okay, being uncomfortable in social situations is so key. What opportunities would you suggest to current neuroscience trainees to get involved in if they're like interested in science communication and doing something related to science communication later on? Yeah, I mean, as we said, it's definitely, science communication is definitely a growing field and an evolving field too. It's, it's existed in many ways. Um, usually its main home was in journalism and now it's growing and expanding. Uh, so there are really a lot of options. The challenge we face finding careers in science communication is that there are perhaps, there's perhaps a paradox of choice. There's like too many different options. You could podcast, you could go on social media, you could work for an institute and be a blogger for them, or you could be coordinating all of their outreach events, or you could be working at a science center. Like there's just endless opportunities, but finding them can be very difficult. So if you're listening and wanting to pursue this path, despite its confusing way forward, I would say just get started and try stuff out. Whatever you like to do, look at what you like to consume. If you like in-person events, think of like, what in-person events are there that I could go give a talk at? Is there some like, uh, like Pints of Science or something like that? Soapbox Science is something that happens in cities all across the world. Maybe you can do some kind of in-person event. If you love podcasts, think about starting a podcast. If you love social media, how can you translate your science that you like to a platform like social media that you like? Uh, I think just getting started and getting messy and figuring it out as you go is a great place to start because it helps you build your portfolio so that when you're applying for jobs or when you're maybe trying to see if you could make it as a freelancer, you have this whole body of work where you could say, okay, here's what I've done. And if you've done it enough while you're still a trainee, by the time you get to the end of your studies, you'll be pretty good you at it. You have enough experience to move forward yeah. with it. Yeah, but I mean, start in small ways. Start with your family. Start if you're in a cab or Uber, you know, practice with people every day. Talk to people at a bar. See if there are events Interested that... Interested in what you have to say. Yeah, just and, and just practice talking and, and figuring out what people are interested in because it's not about you. It's about everyone else. So see what everyone else likes and, and see how you, that you can make that into something you like too. Yeah. Finally, what is the number one piece of advice that you would give to yourself if you could go back to when you were a graduate student? I think it would be to perhaps trust my gut or don't get caught in too much of the BS. Uh, (laughs) And what I mean by that is I think there's a lot of bigger systemic issues in academia that never sat right with me, but I kind of ignored them and I kind of pretended that they weren't issues. Um, a lot of injustices in the way that it's run and in in the lack of inclusion in academia. And I think in the beginning, I kind of just thought that I had to drink the Kool-Aid and I did. And um, I didn't do anything egregious or anything, but I didn't feel fully, I didn't fully feel like I belonged because I felt like I couldn't be myself to belong. And I think I could have saved a little bit of stress and I could have saved a little bit of toxic friendships even if I had just trusted my gut and knowing like, I don't need to be a certain type of way to yeah I I can just be how I am and if people don't like it I can be part of the change Uh, so I think towards the second half of my PhD I became much better at that so I I 
it was fortunately a short-lived phase but even in the beginning when you join your program everyone's so toxic with like acting like they know everything and then yeah. like two years in you're like oh, we don't know anything and you're finally able to admit I, it but I, I definitely wish, know what you're yeah. talking about yeah I wish I would have just skipped the imposter syndrome because yeah. we're all confused and imposter syndrome also is because of these like systemic things that make us feel like we don't belong if you're not you know a stereotype of what a scientist is it's like you know Sheldon basically from the bank theory <laughs> so I think um yeah, I really came into my own scientifically and I was confident to ask questions and I was comfortable and I made more meaningful friendships as soon as I just realized like, no, I don't want to be like this and I just want to, I want to have my values and I want to research as well. And if other researchers don't share those values, I don't need to, Change I don't need to participate so, with, yeah. yeah, I don't need to participate with them. This, <laughs> I think I've just become more comfortable voicing myself and my values and I, and I, if I'd done that sooner, it would have probably been like a more interesting journey in the beginning yeah <laughs> would have been a less scary one too <laughs> okay well thank you so much again for taking the time to talk to me i'm really excited to oh, thank you participate in your workshop oh thanks we're gonna have a great time and i can't wait to learn from everyone in this community there's so many great work being done here and can't wait to see you all share it more if you want to if you'd like to learn more about science sam Check out the Neural Pathways webpage for links and resources. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Neural Pathways presented by Healthy Brains, Healthy Lives. Don't forget to check out our website, mcgill.ca slash hbhl, for links to previous episodes and resources, and follow HBHL on Twitter at hbhlmcgill. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice so you never miss an episode. See you next time.